Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester. Today, I'm joined by Bruce MacArthur, CEO of Tesra Systems. Bruce, how are you doing today? Fantastic. You? Awesome. Good, good. I can't complain. We were joking earlier. It's January 31st already. Who, who would have thunk it? It's like, it's this month has just flown by. Did you, did you feel that uh, way as well? It sure has. Yeah, it's amazing. I felt like uh, it, uh, it hardly, uh, it, it hardly started and it's over. Yeah. So it's yeah. Yeah. crazy nice times. To see the new year and everybody getting off to a great start. So for yeah. sure. Well, definitely tomorrow will be a new year for many of the Chinese new year year of the tiger tomorrow uh, so definitely a new year for many where are we reaching you nowadays i just never know where people are, are they at home or are they somewhere else uh, where where are you calling in from today yeah so i'm based just just outside of calgary in the uh the foothills uh in between cochrane and calgary nice. and uh we're a remote company so we're uh we're spread right across from british columbia all the way to uh to uh, Nova Scotia and uh, we have one person in Thailand actually so uh, yeah so we're spread wow. all over the place yeah wow Thailand we're gonna have to dig into that one I'm gonna curious to, to know how that that works and how I could sign up that sounds amazing so yeah. maybe as we get into it I I, I always love to ask our, our, our guests uh, how did you get into forestry because looking you know at your your LinkedIn profile you know undergrad in forestry, Tesra systems, you've been leading it for 20, over 24 years, uh, yeah. but you're a trained forester. So, you know, like the space and you're going to, I think you're going to have awesome, I know you'll have awesome insights, but maybe for our listeners, walk us through that journey of how you, how you got into the space in the first place. Yeah. So I, I grew up in, in Vancouver, uh, North Vancouver, actually. And, and um, my, my, my father at the time, he, he, uh, He's since passed, but uh, at, at the time he had a, a real close friend who uh, was general manager of one of the sawmills in, uh, in the lower mainland. And uh, when I was uh, 14 years old, I went, uh, went down, down to uh, knock on the door of this, uh, this company and, and walked into the recruiter, not even this individual, just it was a recruit, recruiter. And he said, are you 16? I said, absolutely. And uh, he said, well, when can you start? And I said, well, I can start on cleanup and, and uh, gave me a hard hat. And, and then when I was 14 years old, I would take the bus over and, and uh, work graveyard shifts on cleanup on, underneath the sawmills, cleaning all wow. that stuff up. And I did that all the way through high school and, uh, and then into university as well when, when uh, I started working out in the field as well for the same company. So, but uh, yeah, it was interesting to get that, that initial sort of background, knowing how the, how the sawmilling side of things worked. And yeah, that's very awesome. cool. So you're inside. Normally a lot of folks are like on the outside, but you started within the mill. So I'm dying to know what was minimum wage like back in the day. Cause when I was doing that work, I think I was like, I don't know, like three bucks in, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, three dollars and and change was yeah. uh, union IWA wages, and yeah, and that was a lot, man. I'll tell you, that was you yeah. were living the living the highlight. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I think when my day when I I was uh, doing the McDonald's and Timmy's, and then I 
got to a restaurant and when they said, Hey, we're going to pay you six bucks an hour. I thought I won the lottery. I was like, Holy cow, this is awesome. It's like, you know, twice what I was making at McDonald's. It was great. So, so you worked in the mill and you stuck with it. So obviously it piqued an interest and and you stayed in province. I believe UBC is your alma mater. Tell me that thinking there, something didn't pull you in a different way. Like being in the mill, the engineering side didn't get a hold of you. You stuck, stuck through the forestry. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, the, I mean, I, I enjoyed hiking and I enjoyed the woods and, and just being out on the landscape and, and uh, that growing up, our, our family home was in the forest in North Vancouver, just right in the trees and used to go hiking up, up on Gross Mountain. And uh, so, yeah, lots of, lots of uh, interest in, in ecology and, and, and forestry and, and just kind of I decided that forestry was uh, sounded interesting and was something to to try and yeah here, here we are a few years later <laughs> yeah a few years later exactly now I'm curious would would you in your wildest dreams back when you were studying undergrad uh, think you'd see you know buildings constructed with engineered wood on campus did you ever foresee that one coming on campus you know it's it's interesting I I I. I've always thought that uh, that sort of engineered wood products would 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 take hold, and uh, but it was great to see how people have embraced them and then use them in such different and creative ways. So uh, UNBC was a great 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 example as well. That's true, yeah. Of how absolutely. how they used it there as, as well as UBC. So, but yeah. lots of different interesting buildings uh, across. British Columbia and Canada now and, and, and internationally. Yeah. So for it's sure. fantastic to see. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. UMBC, beautiful campus. Uh, love yeah. the campus. It's gorgeous. So thinking of your forestry career, maybe walk us, walk us through before we, well, I don't know, maybe do we jump right into Tessera? Because again, looking at, at your background, unless, you know, I missed a section, like, was it straight out of school? Then you said, Hey, I'm, I'm launching Tessera systems and, and here we go. Or is there you know, some industry, you know, paths that kind of got you to that point where you say, you know what, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and, and launch Tesla systems, maybe share some thoughts on that. Yeah. So, I mean, my background, I, I worked for a company called Crown Zellaback and um, worked, uh, you know, as their um, sort of appraisals forester for, for quite a few years and, and uh, eventually uh, was asked to become manager of forest economics at Kofi for uh, Coastal um, uh, Council of Forest Industries. Um, and, and from there, uh, I was asked to head up to the uh, to NILS, the Northern Interior Lumber Sector, which I did and, and was involved in you know, forest policy, that sort of thing up there. And, and while up there, uh, was introduced to um, uh, North, uh, Northwood at the time, and and uh, they had embarked on this thing called the Model Forest Program, and um, so uh, I was asked to uh, be general manager of that program. And it was through that initiative that we I got into uh, R and D and and the development of spatial planning technologies, which eventually led to the company, and uh, decided to. Uh, become an entrepreneur and the rest is sort of history. We're in our 24th year now as a company. So 
Yeah. That's amazing. Amazing. Congratulations on uh, milestone. Well, 25, I guess maybe there'll be uh, a big party, whether it's 24. Yeah, 25. you'll be invited. I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah. Looking, looking forward to it. But no, hats off, you know, for people who uh, haven't taken that entrepreneur path, uh, you know, to get to 24, 25. That's an amazing feat. Testament to your leadership and obviously doing something right and, and solving people's problems. Um, so maybe from that point of view, for our listeners, walk us through who Tesra Systems in is, you mentioned uh, it's a remote first uh, company. I'm also curious, you know, we'll, we'll digress, curious to see how the pandemic affected you, if it did at all. But maybe for our listeners, walk us through maybe the genesis, some of the cool things you were doing. Because again, I know I've crossed paths with you over the years and there's, it's not just forestry, there's some other really cool innovative stuff you guys have built. So maybe walk us through, uh, you know, how that journey started and, and, and where it is today. Sure. So leading off my uh, previous comments about you know, spatial planning uh, tools and technologies um, the, the, and the model forest, to, you know, there was a, quite an interest at the time. Um, we'd be in the early 90s um, when, when um, geomatics was really in its infancy in many ways. Um, Esri had uh, just getting started and um, uh, companies like Hughes Aircraft and Esri and the various academia, uh, uh, the province, different interest groups all collaborated around developing of a, a, uh, a technology, the development of a technology that could uh, help support um, forecasting landscapes for all of these different multiple values, but also trying to understand what, what are those limits? What, what can work, what won't work? And uh, how do we try to um, accommodate as much as possible, but also inform people about their, the limits uh, to what is possible um, and why. So that uh, led to the formation of the company. And uh, fast forward a few years, um, the, the technology itself uh, evolved with uh, various types of uh, platforms. And um, as I think um, provided uh, really a, a, a means by which uh, resource professionals uh, globally now can take advantage of um, technology and, and, um, and improve the, the quality of outcomes at a scale that was not possible earlier on in our careers. And I realize I've jumped, you know, a couple of decades forward, but really the, 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 the quantum change that's happened is the fact that people now can, um, uh, can use these technologies in innovative ways that was really limited to maybe some professors at university or some really smart PhDs that, uh, you know, I'd look at with awe. And, and wonder how, how they could possibly do these things or, or consider um, in their minds how, how it might be possible. But now with uh, the advancements of compute, with, uh, with cloud processing, with machine learning, with uh, remote sensing, um, all of these things kind of coming together at a time where it's enabling uh, companies like yourself ourselves, others, to, to be able to take advantage of them in, in unique and novel ways that helps our clients 
uh, in ways that was not possible previously. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's uh, a lot of game changing technologies came about. Uh, uh, again, I, I chuckle when you, you say, you know, when Ezra was starting in the 90s, yeah, it doesn't feel like that long ago, but I guess, you know, it was still a few decades ago. I, I remember their the early days. So maybe tell our listeners, I know you kind of teased at it and I, and I actually want to learn myself. I love doing this because I get to learn straight from the source, but Tessera has uh, HRIS, high resolution inventory solution. Hopefully I, yeah. I, I, it's not HRISE, but HRIS. Maybe, maybe tell our listeners more about that because I think that brings together, you know, LIDAR, Earth observation, you know, cloud, like pretty much every tech jargon you mentioned, and maybe describe what it is and, and how it came came to be. Because even listening to you, like when we think about innovation, it's hard to get, you know, the stuff in PhDs brains and academia into like the layperson's hands. So maybe start off with Atris. Give us give us the the the, sure. the lowdown on what it is. Yeah. So what it is is uh, uh, a means and a technology by which to to uh, produce a forest inventory that is reliable. Um, reliable in the context that um, it gives practitioners um, um, confidence that what they see digitally in in a, a georeference database. Um, is representative of what is actually out there in the field. And that might sound simple, and it might sound like it's obvious, but in the, in the past, historically, one of the things that um, I've had quite a few beers and conversations with colleagues such as yourself and others, that it, it, that, that was always elusive. Um, the, the, the inventory itself was always something that was so generalized um, and there was always another forest around the corner that potentially might offset the fact that if, if the in inventory was out of, out of whack, uh, there was always another forest that, or another tenure perhaps we could, we could acquire that would allow us to, uh, to fill the wood supply gap. Um, come along, environmental concerns and environmental organizations and the general public, um, people started asking more and more questions in the 80s about what um, sustainability meant. And, and um, people asked questions about, um, about the basis for sustainability and, and proving it, <laughs> um, demonstrating it and not just taking it for granted. And that caused, I think, practitioners uh, a lot of angst uh, because they, I, I can tell you from the foresters I know and, and just the, my knowledge of those historical inventories, they had weaknesses that were inherent. Um, and they were partly due to the fact that the technology just had not uh, matured to be able to improve uh, the estimates uh, that we somewhat take for granted now and, and expect. Um, so um, it was a, a real frustration, I think, on, on behalf of a lot of um, professionals, as well as uh, regulators and, and um, the public interest groups and individuals to, that we had to do better. Um, and uh, 
I, I can tell you that one of the funny story, things that I think about now is, is the, the disconnect sometimes between uh, individuals that wanted to really race with the new technologies, whether it be remote sensing or whether it be cloud compute, and those individuals that just wanted to take a more cautious you know, a, approach, um, uh, a little slower perhaps. Um, and you know, our uh, philosophy has always been to adopt, adapt, develop in that order. And as these new technologies um, really revealed themselves in, ter in terms of their potential, we really wanted to adopt them rather than try to recreate them. Uh, and, then, and then adapt them from a pers perspective of, of forest inventory and only do development when it was absolutely necessary because development is costly, it's risky, and, yeah. and it takes time. And for sure. Um, yeah, so maybe I'll stop there. Yeah, so so thinking of that with with uh, you know I'm gonna I love role playing on this show. So I'm a, a force corp. Uh, I shouldn't say force corp. Maybe there actually is a force corp. I think there is. So maybe uh, uh, F corp uh, per se. Uh, and, and I'm interested in Atris uh, because my inventory is dated. Someone photo interpreted. It's from a bajillion years uh, ago. And you know, if I lick my thumb and wave it in the air, that's about how how good it is. And people show up expecting this species, and they get complete something completely different. And um, et cetera. What do I need to bring to the table to, to, to really get the full potential out of ATRIS? Like obviously remote sensing data, ancillary GIS data. Um, I know on your website, there's this great chart in terms of comparing and contrasting different things. But if I was the, the, the forester of, of F Corp and wanting to get started, what, what would I need to bring to you to really uh, launch it. And by the way, I have no recent plot data. So, uh, you know, we'll start there setting some grounds, but what would you need sure. for me to, to get something going? Yeah. So one of the, um, pieces of data that, that is, is, I, I feel is critically important. And I think it's been, uh, proven through some of the analytics that we do is ground information is still critical. Um, and, and I'll explain why. Um, there's a, a lot of um, improvements that have been made in terms of remote sensing and whether it's uh, four band uh, color infrared or whether it's um, collected you know, from an aerial platform or remotely from space. The, uh, the improvement in that type of data and the cost coming down um, makes it um, uh, available now in a way that previously was not available. And the remote sensing um, information um, needs to be connected to the ground. And the sort of the geo-referencing of ground information, a ground plot center and its orientation fused into space um, with LIDAR or with uh, four band color, color infrared uh, to be able to make inferences, uh, build models of uh, features uh, that, um, that some of which you've, the attributes which you've measured on the ground, but to be able to predict um, at a landscape level um, 
based on ground plots, based on remote sense data, based on models you've built and computed. Um, to be able to do that at scale is, is what we've built. And cool. that, that um, uh, so that involves ground plots, involves remote sensing, it involves compute, it involves science, uh, mathematics, statistics, um, to be able to come up with those inferences. And then to be able to present it back to a client in a way that they understand with the types of attributes that they're used to seeing at a scale that is um, flexible and, and small, small units that, are, that, that they can use for planning, but also sc fully scalable to any sort of size or combination or permutation that they might be interested in from a management perspective. Right, right. So, so it doesn't sound like LIDAR is a must input if it's available or, or is it a must input into the ATRIS in addition to the other remote sensing uh, data? Does it give an extra boost or is it one of those like, yeah, if you have it, great. If you don't, we still have magic that, that we can uh, still get to what you need pretty well. Yeah, it, 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 it's proven to be a, a very useful piece of information. Um, because it provides um, insights into structure, structure of the canopy, structure of the boles of the trees, and their interrelationship to each other uh, in the matrix. So, yeah, it's 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 proven to be a pretty powerful uh, piece of information, piece of the puzzle. But there's there's other um, ways of of making those types of um, or using different types of uh, spectral imagery. Uh, for example, radar is a, is a uh, interesting uh, technology that can be used and, and has benefits in, in many parts of the world um, where cloud cover is um, um, omnipresent. It's always there, virtually always there. And to be able to see through clouds and to make inferences as well um uh is is uh is another um piece of data that uh that's i think uh, increasingly used and useful for all sorts right. of uh, predictions right right so this this hris creates this 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 tesra uh forest inventory and then as a user smartphone i can interact with it web app i can interact with it both or, or any way, yep. choose, choose what, how you want, you want, you want to yep. pull in the services. Yeah. Along those yeah, web enabled. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And I, and I, I think the other um, philosophy that we have is we recognize that the pace of technology is just exponential. So we don't want to tie our hands anymore. Right. In terms of tying a client to a particular platform or tying our client to a particular piece of data. We want to remain and design our, our, our system so that they're able to suck in and use whatever the next uh, generation of data is. And I, that's, an, I think, an exciting opportunity for young foresters and young um, uh, entrepreneurs that, uh, that, you know, seeing the potential future. Um, yeah. Yeah, we, we don't want to tie ourselves to what it is today. 
Yeah, there's so much knowledge out there as long as you're willing to put the work, whether listening to a podcast as an example or just doing research. So I know looking at uh, some background info on tester systems, you know, I, I caught the comment of open source. Um, how does that fit into your tech stack? Is it uh, we try and use open source as much as we possibly can, or is it more of a we're agnostic, we really don't care. It's like pick your poison, uh, whichever works better. Uh, we can work with both. Is there a thesis behind that uh, around open source or closed source? Yeah, so I, I, I think, well, well, our experience has been that um, open source has um, both advantages and disadvantages, but the, the, I think the advantages outweigh the disadvantages in that, um, in that there's a lot of people doing development in open source. And when I mean a lot, I mean hundreds of thousands of developers around the world. And by virtue of the sheer numbers and the sheer volume of work that's going on using open source technologies, a lot of capacity and capabilities are built in, redundancies, uh, lessons learned. Um, and it, it enables us to be able to utilize the, 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 the benefits of all of that knowledge and experience in designing our uh, approaches um, and, and designing our high resolution inventory solution in such a way that um, it gives us and our clients greater confidence that um, in the event that they uh, have a question or they need to drill in to see a little deeper how things occur, uh, we can provide that uh, that insight to them uh, without any concern. The right. uh, the secret sauce, of course, in, in a lot of technologies is how you put all those things together. It's um, it's kind of like your mom's favorite recipe that she doesn't want to share with anybody else. Um, you know, how do you do this? Well, it, it it takes years of experience, and and it's those subtle things that you've you've done to be able to create that recipe that, that works. But it's, it, I think open source is, at least for now, in this uh, current age of technology development is, uh, is, has a lot of benefits. Yeah, so thinking of our, our tech savvy listeners, the young ones, are there certain open source technologies that are kind of the go-to for you, you know, the leaflet front end or, you know, Postgres back end database or, or usual stack? Are there certain ones that you, you, you can share with the young up and comers in terms of what you guys like? Um, yeah, I think all of those. Um, yeah, so obviously there's the uh, Python, R, Git, GitHub, um, AWS, Elastic, Containers, Services, all the different sort of uh, EC2, uh, Postgres, um, yeah, on the on the statistical uh, side, there's a number of different platforms now available for doing ML uh, work, deep learning. Um, so, um, you know, we're using uh, SageMaker um, as our kind of go-to package. But yeah, there's lots of different types of uh, analytical packages uh, that are that are part of the stack. Yeah, but pretty much. You know, those are common. Uh, across most of the different types of platforms now folks are using. So yeah, nothing. Yeah. Well, well it's kind of funny you, you say that Bruce, like, oh yeah, it's kind of common. And, I'm, and there's times I think I'm like, you know, 
what's common to us uh, sometimes could be, you know, like 27 PhDs removed for someone else. Cause I even think back to an email I got, like someone had photos and they weren't aligning and they're like, like, we hate to ask, but could you share trade secrets on how you might like get these, you know, air photos to line up? I'm like, yeah, that's called photogrammetry. Like there's tons of software out there. Here's 20, a list of 20, but it kind of surprised me. Cause I was like, man, that's like, so like in the geospace, it's like, yeah, if you need to ortho rectify the imagery, like it's, it's taught in schools. Right. But again, when you move to different camps, it may be just complete, uh, and, and utter Greek. Now I know, um, uh, on your website, UP 42 or up 42, I never actually know whether it's up or yeah. UP 42, yeah. up 42 partnership. Uh, I believe I saw in a press release. Uh, what can you tell us about that relationship and, and, and what potential or where you see the world going? Yeah. So, uh, that came out of a, a competition that Airbus had, um, and we competed in and and came in third in the world. Um, nice. And and that sort of led to their relationship they they formed with um, uh, or this platform called Up Forty Two. And it's it's really a, a way to share your technologies um, with others um, in a um, online capacity and for them to be able to take advantage of uh, some of the scripts that you've written um, uh, and, and, you know, that can create, uh, you know, follow-up business uh, for, for your firm. And, and it also, it's a way of just getting the message out about your company and what you do and, and some of the, some of the cool uh, features of what you've built. Right. So it, you know, it, it's a way to sort of carve off a couple of pieces and, and, and provide them. Uh, for specific needs, uh, use cases, and 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 uh, and deliver those through through a platform. So, and of course, they cover all sorts of, you know, diversity of types of uh, business needs and and use cases. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and thinking of of the Tesla uh, tech uh, suite of offerings, if I'm correct, and I'm probably not going to say it, you'll have, probably have to correct me. But there's some cool segmentation technology you guys have mm -hmm. is it line lpss or or fill in the blanks for me and tell me about what that is well it, it i mean the 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 automated segmentation is is really you know drawing lines on a map um around things that are um that are, are unique and to to try to um come up with um um, visual representations of um, those differences uh, for for resource managers, and um, part of the part of the challenge in drawing a line is um, we're all we all see the world differently, and uh, the reality is that there's no absolute line. Um, Lines are a way for human beings to, um, to be able to uh, um, imagine um, what is potentially there and to get their brain around uh, some values or some attributes just for a particular area. I feel like uh, you're going to offer me a blue pill or a red pill and make me choose <laughs> yeah. based on that. That's right. Um, now, the beauty of technology and the way things are going is the dissolving of those lines, the dissolving 
you know, creating new lines um, uh, to be able to fully scale from a, a small, let's say, uh, 0.1 of a hectare to millions of hectares. And to be, you know, if you're, if you're interested in above ground biomass, or you're uh, interested in a particular uh, wildlife species or wildlife species habitat, to be able to reimagine your inventory in the with the construct of that particular resource value and essentially redraw all the lines. And that's now possible. That's, that wasn't possible a few years ago. And that provides a very powerful way for um, considering your landscape for all of the different types of values that you're, you're interested in, in, in managing. So in, in the case of a production forest and you're looking at wood supply, um, how does that uh, feed your supply chain? And, and what, you know, how does that, how, how is that impacted uh, under different market conditions? Or how is that impacted under different milling requirements and different uh, manufacturing facilities? And of course the dynamics of your on the ground wood supply and how that's distributed or allocated or optimized or scheduled, those all become, uh, that's all critically important and dependent on what's actually on the ground in your inventory. So in the past, the inventory was always the weakest link, I think in a lot of technologies. And when I think of your technologies that you've produced, I think of um, how important it is, you know, for all the way through a, a supply chain, to make sure that, that, that all the pieces that are dependent on each other are as accurate as possible. And I think probably one of the weakest pieces has been our forest inventory historically. And it's, that's what we as a company have completely focused on. We're just focused on that one problem. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a well, one problem, but it's a big one, and 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 trying to affect change in the industry can be uh, challenging. And maybe that's where I'm I'm going to shift. I'm curious to get your uh, thoughts because you've been at this for for quite a while, and and as you noted, you've watched new technology come and and some go, truthfully, at the same yeah. time. Um, but thinking about forcers, um, and again, our 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 listeners are like everywhere around the world. So different geographies, different jurisdictions, different types of forestry. But when we think about innovation and, and you know you got something good and you know it's way better than what we have now, what have you experienced to date in terms of, of the barriers that are really holding some folks from just jumping two feet in? Like, like sometimes you almost have to kick them off the ledge, right? Going like, this is good for you. It's like, you know, we'll do a pilot, you know, we'll do a, uh, you know, scale up, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I'm still kicking you off the ledge because this is good for you. So in your experience, is there a, a set of patterns that you see consistently when you engage people uh, around the world with your your services that that just gee whiz if we as a community could just all collectively get over it we would just accelerate so much quicker yeah i i think it's it's the confidence in ourselves to be able to have a, a conversation like we're having with theoretically our competitors um i don't view it that way um i i think there's a huge amount of work around the world <laughs> To go on. I think Canada in particular um, has um, uh, historically, we've probably held ourselves back by, by not embracing um, each other's um, strengths 
uh, to the extent that we we can. And and um, you know, uh, I when I have an opportunity to talk up some of our competitors, I I I do um, because we don't do everything. Um, we don't want to do everything, and we can't do everything, quite frankly. So um, I think I think there's a a real um, change in an opportunity for us to be able to collaborate in, in, in off of our own particular strengths in the in the global marketplace to take or take to really make a huge impact. And I, I, I think for me, the passion that keeps me going is the fact that I think sustainability is based on really good information. And it's, it's based on good models, it's based on, on really good technologies, because I, I truly believe that resource managers want to make the best decision for their, for their clients, but also for their companies and for their countries and, and the world. Um, and I think the only thing that's really holding us back is having connected connections between all of these really good technologies, data that's available, making it available in such a way that people can afford to use it and incorporate it seamlessly and produce results that can be delivered to clients that they understand. And to be able to do that efficiently, consistently um, in ways that, um, that different clients require is, um, is, is really the, the, I think the opportunity. Yeah. Both a challenge yeah. and an opportunity. Absolutely. Well, well, you know, I, I've learned, uh, uh, maybe I have enough arrows in my back, but you know, sometimes partnering makes you go a heck of a lot faster than trying to, to go it alone. And on top of that, your comment, you know, at least stateside, um, you know, they're bullish on everything and happy to, you know, drive into the wall a thousand miles per hour and pick themselves up. And sometimes as us Canadians, it's almost like our, our, we're too polite. Like, oh, I'm sorry, Bruce. It's like, you go ahead and try and crush me. Oh, no, no, you go ahead. And like, and then we're both dancing and, and then people are like, what, what the heck's going on with these people? Like fix my problem, solve my problem. And so sometimes I think, uh, you know, that Canadianism gets in, uh, uh, gets in our, our, our ways, despite maybe not acknowledging it. Now, Global presence. You you guys work globally. What are some of the countries you work on? You work in today. I know at one point I was excited to catch up in Chile uh, with you because I know you guys were going on the train admission, and I I feel uh, it was Expo Corma. I I kind of gave them a tagline. You know the the conference that never happened because <laughs> I think it was supposed to happen in 2019. Then there was civil unrest. But that pandemic hit, it got rescheduled a bajillion times. I felt bad for the organizers because I was like, you know, at some point just cancel the, the the damn thing. And then at least you can start, you know, another year. But but uh, but that was one that was just uh, an odd one. But maybe for our listeners, share with us uh, some of the, the geographies you, you work in. Because obviously you mentioned uh, someone is remote in Thailand. Um, is that work driven or just personal life? But what, what are some of the countries uh, that you're working in now? So our listeners who might be from there know to reach out. Yeah, so in Latin America, a number of different countries down there, and in Brazil, we've we've had uh, um, a presence um, working with uh, with a partner there, um, and um, uh, across Canada, obviously, and, and the U.S. Um, and Europe, um, and also uh, South Africa. Um, so yeah, a range of different uh, projects and, and different 
parts of the world. We've, we've really, one of our, um, I guess our, our philosophies is, is we, we don't want to replicate what works already. So there's a lot of companies um, that, that for, for instance, do timber cruising. Um, so we've developed the methodologies and the, 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 uh, the protocols and the standards for, for cruising. And we've done a, a lot of work in the LIDAR and the color infrared and setting the standards for data acquisition. So we don't have planes. We don't, we don't have uh, tons of people. We, we have a really small group. We're, we're, we're very small, um, but we're mighty. Uh, and, and part of our philosophy is that uh, we try to use the um, expertise that exists in these different forests and these different regions and these different communities uh, to the max. And we work with them uh, to help them understand what needs to be done and how to collect that data and then incorporate it into what we do. So that, that allows us to move relatively seamlessly around the world and, and work with different players without, without any really any uh, technical barrier. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. And so you mentioned at the start, you know, remote first company. So I'm guessing when the pandemic kicked in, like it was not even a speed bump for you, not even a blip. It was just keep trucking. I shouldn't say trucking. There's a protest in Ottawa now with the truckers. <laughs> but anyhow, it sounds like it was just like didn't really phase the Tesla team. It was just, hey, business as usual. Keep keep working yeah, away. We, we, we are, I, I've, I've not found a company to date uh, and anyone listening to this that can uh, find an earlier company, but we, we went remote about over 15 years ago. Wow. And, and so we, we had about um, 30 servers in Cochrane and uh, um, you know, we were, uh, I can, I can remember going at, you know, normally the, the servers would fail uh, about, you know, uh, two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning and, and the <laughs> process and I would be down. It was never during the week. It was always on a weekend and have to go down there and swap out a hard drive and start up a process again. Um, but uh, when cloud became more uh, available, we, we were early adopters and, and same, as I mentioned, remote. And uh, we sold our office and we came, became completely virtual and, and, uh, and, that's really allowed us to sort of engage globally without any barrier whatsoever. It's uh, yeah, it's quite um, uh, it, it's quite nice to not to have that physical office that you have to feel like you have to go into. But it is it takes a certain discipline uh, to work remotely and and to work with your colleagues that way. But yeah, we we really do as a tight team. We really enjoy it. And yeah. Uh, that's incredible. 15 years. Wow. So you kind of knew the future before uh, the future had even come knocking on the doorstep. So maybe, maybe along those lines uh, with the digital forester, we always like to pick our guests uh, brain in terms of what gets them excited in that one year, three year. Cause again, you're talking nonchalantly, Bruce, like, Oh, AWS, you know, ML, you know, we do this and it sounds like so easy. Right. But there's some serious chops happening behind the scenes in terms of the stack. So from a technology side, even though you're kind of like, yeah, we're going with the flow, like you guys know this stuff. So thinking of one year, three year, what gets you excited? You know, and you're 24 going on 25 year, you've seen things come and go, you know, the hype cycle, some that was just complete and yep. utter nonsense that went away. 
what what's getting you excited keeping you up getting you uh, up each day in the next one the three or high uh, timelines yeah so we're currently focused on um uh, complete automation um so um your listeners may or may not know this but many of the steps involved in producing a forest inventory uh, uh often are fairly discrete steps and when those discrete steps um require you know you to finish a, a step and then and then do the qa and 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 then uh, feed that into the into the next uh process um and there are many of them um and to be able to seamlessly uh, run through all of those steps from start to finish to produce an inventory is kind of like the holy grail of uh forest inventory at least that, that in my mind i think that think of it that way and so we've been uh, embarked over the last uh, year or so on uh, completing that process, um, at least uh, as it is today, <laughs> um, recognizing that technology will continue to change and evolve. But um, we're, you know, we're probably, I don't know, I, I would say maybe 70% of the way now uh, to, to that uh, beta goal of uh, full automation. And uh, from there, we'll undoubtedly continue to make improvements and more uh, changes and, and try to speed things up. But that's, that's really the, the goal for us is to be able to um, be able to offer this as a service, inventory as a service, including you know, inventory updates, which we haven't talked about yet, um, and treating an inventory as a, as a, as a valuable asset that is continuously uh, kept up to date. Yeah. Uh, and then that feeds into all sorts of supply chain models and, and processing opportunities and, 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 and so on and so forth. Yeah, well, well that's, a good, that's a good segue. So maybe, um, you know, there's this, I, I've started to see this here and see people talking about this living, living inventory, this thing that just kind of evergreens and every, again, depending what frequency you need, it just kind of evolves, maybe not, maybe evolves, not the right word, but grows and it's kind of uh, mm -hmm. tweaked and calibrated. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like, obviously you're, you're thinking that way. Do you think that's something, you know, really far off or do you think we have all the technological pieces, the, the, the know-how from the forestry body knowledge to, to get to that point that inventories update every year, six months, five years. What are, what are your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah, I think I th I think it's uh, it's coming soon, <laughs> um, and a lot faster than maybe some people think. Um, there are some technical challenges that come along with it, and it there's a lot of um, I think opportunity for different jurisdictions to uh, like we, we were just talking about companies collaborating. I think there's opportunity, new opportunities for jurisdictions now to collaborate. Uh, the, the idea that every province is unique and that every forest is different and that uh, our rules are separate and the way we do things are different um, is a real- We're, we're um, more complex than you. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 that's a little old. And, and I think we all know that, that that's not the case. And there's, there's real opportunities, I think, um, to rethink that. 
and to their, you know, just as there is uh, opportunities for, you know, harmonizing markets, um, there's opportunities for harmonizing the way that we, we think about data and, uh, and, and forest inventories across Canada and around the world for that matter. Um, so there's more similarity, similarities than there is differences. And I think uh, the only real barrier in my mind is that, uh, is that jurisdictional difference uh, that uh, can create uh, an artificial barrier um, to, uh, to be able to realize that, that potential. Mm. So yeah, that's a nice way of saying, come on, bureaucrats, get on board. Let's, uh, let's yeah. start working together. And, and uh, I know that there's complexities in the bureaucracy in terms of systems and the way that all of these things work. But um, I think there, there really is a real strong pull and need for that, that maybe is not happening as quickly as it should. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because I've asked that question a few times with um, and other guests and inevitably, uh, well, originally I always thought the conversation would kind of go down that, that rabbit hole of technology and stuff. And then what's amazing that so far we're batting like five for five or six for six this year, where people are talking about the change management or the people side as, as the thing that's kind of holding us back less about the technological capacity or capability to, to actually uh, to, to achieve the outcomes we're looking for. So I find that fascinating. Thinking of climate, has anything happened? Well, not anything happened. Obviously things are happening. We don't need to look at BC fires and stuff, but is there anything that's happened on the climate side that, you know, as a, as a trained forester, someone who's been working in this space for several decades, is there something that kind of comes at you as a, kind of caught you off guard or surprise, you know, the speed of some of the change or the extreme events that you're seeing? Is there something that just, you just didn't really see coming? I mean, I don't want to sound like I saw it coming. I, 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 I felt that there was maybe um, a sense by some that it wasn't happening as fast as it was. And I, I, I think, um, when I think of uh, uh, our changing climate conditions and the effect it's going to have on forestry, um, I, I truly think it's it's you know we're at we're at the beginning of a of a um, monumentous uh, pivot in um, the need for us to understand the consequences of changing climate on forest ecosystems and um, the biosphere in, in general and how that's going to affect the industry and communities, forest communities um, globally. And um, I think there's just a huge amount of work that has to happen there. Um, and, and I think whether it's above ground biomass, ESG reporting, um, uh, that's, um, that's becoming more and more of a requirement for companies or, or um, the trading of credits and uh, trying to create value, new markets in that regard, that's a potential as well. Uh, those are all uh, certainly near-term opportunities, but I think that's just scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. There's gonna be a lot more. Yeah. Um, and I don't know exactly how that's gonna, um, reflect itself in the marketplace. But I think, I think that's 
going to be an increasing part of what we do. And I mean, our as a company, we're collaborating more and more with others on the on the on the above ground carbon, below ground carbon side of things, and and that's becoming kind of a an offering that right. uh, that I think is becoming more standard. Yeah, yeah, the carbon that was when once not so sexy has become very very uh, appealing and draw maybe the driver uh, nowadays on a lot of. Uh, uh, initiatives in the, the marketplace per se so so maybe a la last question I, I started asking this to, to folks if you're to look back you know you, you've been in technology you've been developing cool systems and again we got atris we've got uh, other technologies at play if you're to look back to young bruce you know you're coming out of the mill and heading to ubc is there a, a based on what you know today and forestry technology or whatever that it may be is there is there a pro tip you would you would give yourself, uh, 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 per se. Yeah, I think, you know, to, to believe in yourself and, and, um, kind of never give up, uh, you're going to run into a lot of naysayers, um, and, uh, a lot of folks that are, are, are going to tell you that it's been done before or, or that it's good enough. Yep. Um, uh, or that uh, there's there's really not a need for that, um, and I and I think you've got to trust your instincts as a professional when you when you see a need and it, and, and if you believe in it enough, um, not blindly but uh, you know in in communication with your colleagues and 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 um, uh, and and others, um, you know you, it, it does take time. It takes it takes a long time and commitment. You know, some people are are amazing and able to do it in a in in, in a heartbeat, and to be able to turn a technology into into a billion dollar company in in a, in a year or less. Most of us, I think, uh, are 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 not gifted that way. It's going to take longer, and you've got to be you got to stick with it. You got to have the stick to itness to hang in there and work with your colleagues and work as a team. And that yeah. uh, that's that's probably the the biggest uh, message I, I would send or lesson that I've learned is don't expect it to happen quickly. Yeah, that that's that's uh, awesome ad advice. Uh, and again, you know, kudos to to you and Tesla Systems, twenty four years and twenty five. Because stats wise, most startups are you know, gone after a year, right? And to make three years, it's like, that's even an exception. And to get beyond, you know, five, that's, that's even exceptional, exceptional type of thing. So, you know, getting past two decades, you're obviously doing right and, 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 and trusting your gut and, and holding the course. So the last question I have is, is folks who want to learn more about what Tesra does, your solutions, what's the best way they can get a hold of you as we, as we wind down? Uh, are you LinkedIn, Facebook, or, or what are you? Is it just good old email or website? What's the best way people could get a hold of you, Bruce? The website, uh, email, um, and, you know, I'm even available on the phone. So, um, but you can reach us uh, through most of those uh, platforms. And, uh, you know, and the website's tesserasystems.com? Tessera.com. Tessera.com. Yeah. And email? T-E-S-E-R-A.com. Yeah. Yep. And email Bruce, it's Bruce.MacArthur, spelled just like the general, M-A-C-A-R-T-H-U-R at tessera.com. Happy to answer any questions and, and uh, connect with new folks. So, yeah. There you go. There you go. Well, digital foresters out there, 
We've been joined by uh, Bruce MacArthur, CEO of Tesra Systems. So there you have it. You've got, uh, check out the website. You've got his email. Um, as as times I, I chuckle, some people are like, oh, it's like, you know, what's the big deal with the email? It's like, hey, sometimes it's really hard to find the CEO's email out there and just reach out directly. So you, you just heard it on, on this episode. So please reach out, learn more about what they're doing around the world. It's super cool. I love watching it. So Bruce, thanks so much for joining. As I said, you know, we'll connect one of these days. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, sooner, hopefully 2022. I say this, uh, you know, in part jest, but in seriousness as well, you know, I think Canadians have something to offer and yeah, it's our time to kind of maybe own the podium and kind of come together and figure out what we can do, not just here, but uh, elsewhere outside of our, our country. So thanks so much for joining. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. And uh, all the best. And, and thanks very much, very much for doing this podcast. It's great. Sure. Awesome.